0: And as they do, the rest of us will be in Luke, chapter 4. Luke, chapter 4. Find your place, Luke, chapter 4. <clears throat> you were here on Wednesday. I hope that you took some time to read those verses and prepare for Sunday. You wouldn't mind to stand when you find that, by the way, as we read. And I uh, hope that you are able to prepare. Because we said on Wednesday, didn't we? That preparing for Sunday... Starts on Saturday I was was giving you time to to jump in Well, you guys are nodding, you're following And so, uh, by the way, if you don't know this I pretty much preach expositionally I kind of just preach through books of the Bible Uh, The reason I do that is because I want the Bible to guide our church Not me and my ideas I don't come up with an idea and then look for a a scripture that goes with my idea I go to the scripture and then I get my idea from there Amen? Yeah, because it's dangerous the other way around you can make it say a lot of weird stuff if you want to. And so we just preach through expositionally. Primarily, we do it that way, unless God just leads otherwise. And so uh, you can pretty much know where we're going to read the next time. And so it might be good for you on Saturday night, instead of you know, scrolling through Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, just delete that. Um, but anyway, instead of doing all that all night, maybe read the verse that we're going to be getting into. Uh, I'm excited about our passage today. And the reason we stand... That's because we want to give honor to the infallible, perfect, inspired will live the li- a word of the living God. That's what we have in our hands. And, I, you know, I think sometimes we forget that. It's pretty imp- incredible that in our time, we get to have the word of God opened. We don't even have to be scared about it. We live in a great country. And we stand in the honor, for the honor of the word of God. And we, we're doing that, and we're going to read our passage, which begins in verse 22. We're going to finish the account that we began talking about last week. So just a little bit of review. We'll look at verse number 20. Now what happened is Jesus is in the we'll say more about this, but Jesus is in the synagogue. He's read from Isaiah 61 and now in verse 20 and he closed the book. And he gave it to the minister there in the synagogue and he sat down. And that was that was the that was the practice. Everyone listening would stand up. And the guy preaching was, sit down. What do you think? You all want to stay standing? Or should I? Okay, I'll stand, you sit. But not yet. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. Verse 21, And he began to say unto them, This day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. It's awesome. Now verse 22, the response. And all bear him witness. <clears throat> And wondered at the gracious words that proceeded out of his mouth, and they said, "Is not this Joseph's son?" And he said unto them, "Ye will surely say unto me this proverb: Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country." And he said, "Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the day, days of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when Great famine was throughout the land, throughout all the land, but unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Zareb- Zarebta, the city of Sidon, and to a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, that's Elisha, eliseus the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath and rose up and thrust him out of the city and led him to the brow of the hill whereupon their city was built that they might cast him down headlong. But I love this. That he passing through them midst of them went his way. And he's like, nope, I'm not going to die today. I'll die for you later. <laughs> and he just walked right through them. They can do nothing about it. Why? Because he's God. So let's pray, <clears throat> we'll get into our lesson, our, into our message today, which is titled this. You must admit your need. Now, somebody else's need. You need to admit your need. Let's pray, we'll get into it. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for sending your son and becoming a man, and, and Lord, living among us. And then, Lord, facing the rejection, the hatred, the wrath, that as we just read about, you, you suffered that. And, and the humiliation of those you created, Lord, you're humbled by it. But then you humbled yourself even further, even as it says in Philippians that you humbled yourself to death, even the death of the cross. And the reason is so that we can be saved. Lord, we're so thankful for that. Help us take that to heart. Help us to be thankful. And then to respond, Lord, and, with a thankful heart, and a heart that wants to serve you and glorify you with our lives. We love you, pray that you bless our time together this morning. Christ and I pray. Amen, and the men may be seated. <clears throat> and so we're picking up this morning in the middle of the account of Jesus preaching in the synagogue in Nazareth. If you were here last week, you know. But what's happened so far is that Luke he has made the case for really three chapters that Jesus is the very Son of God, the Messiah, the Promised One. He's God himself who became a man to save mankind from their sin. Jesus is the promised Messiah. And Luke gave, oh, said that and proved that over and over again. And then in the first part of Luke chapter 4, Luke brings us to Jesus in the wilderness. And there, being fasting for 40 days and being tempted by Satan for 40 days, the devil gave him everything he had, Every temptation through the ages that the devil has learned to tempt mankind with, he threw at Jesus, and he didn't stand a chance, did he? Amen. Jesus defeated sin. He, he made short work of Satan. He's still in the business of doing that today. Greater is he that is in us and he that is in the world. And sometimes we get scared of Satan and the demons. No, friend, they're, they're scared of Christ. And Christ lives in us. Yeah. And so Luke tells us about that. And then Luke skips the first few months of Jesus' public ministry. We explained that last week. And he brings us straight to this account that we're right in the middle of, the account of Jesus preaching in the synagogue of Nazareth. Now, Jesus had been preaching in the synagogues of Galilee. Galilee is the the surrounding area, the big region of Israel, Galilee. And he he comes to the synagogue in the city of Nazareth, the little city of Nazareth where he grew up. That's where Jesus was a child and, and was raised. It, it would have been this synagogue the same synagogue that he went to every Sabbath day as a child. It would have he would have seen familiar faces there. He would have seen brothers and sisters and aunts and uncles and friends that he grew up with going to synagogue with and many of the people that he would have sat with and attended synagogue that he's talking to today, would be with him as a child, sitting with him as they sat under the preaching of the rabbi, week by week by week as a child. But today was different, wasn't it? Today, Jesus was the rabbi. Rabbi just means teacher. He was the one that would be the preacher that day. Jesus was the one who would open the scripture, and he would read the scripture, and he would explain it, and he would preach a sermon. Jesus would. And remember, Jesus grew up there. And he was just the son of a carpenter. And none of those people who grew up with Jesus would have any idea he was the Messiah. He purposefully hid that. And so Jesus hid that he was the Messiah until that day he was baptized by John. He had hid the fact that he was the Messiah. He had, he had, he had concealed that until it was time. And so growing up, no one in his hometown of Nazareth would have saw him as the Messiah. No one in the town of Nazareth would have expected that one day he'd be a great rabbi. He was the son of Joseph the carpenter Carpenters didn't become rabbis And so they're shocked that he's back They would have been excited That the little boy from their hometown Became this uh, famous preacher But they're shocked to hear this And so this was interesting to them And now Jesus gets up in the very same pulpit, if you will Of this very same synagogue that he sat under And today he's the preacher And so Jesus had them hand him the scroll of Isaiah. And he turned to Isaiah 61, and he read verse 1 and the first part of verse 2, which is in our passage, verses 18 and 19. This is Isaiah 61, verses 1 and 2, where he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, and recovering of sight to the blind. He's to set at liberty them that are bruised To preach the acceptable year of the Lord That's out of Isaiah 61 that Jesus read And again that's the passage in Isaiah Where Isaiah promised the Messiah would come And in Isaiah 61 it actually records The words Messiah would say When he came you Remember Isaiah 53 and, and promising the Messiah would come And be beaten and bruised for our iniquities that was the promise in isaiah 53 and now on isaiah 61 this is what he would say when he came the messiah would preach the acceptable year of the lord the messiah would come to offer the gospel to the poor healing to the brokenhearted to offer deliverance to the captive sight to the blind and liberty to the bruised and as we said last week we're not talking about physically poor we're not talking about physically captive or physically brokenhearted like you have some kind of heart condition, or, or physically bruised or blind. These are the lost. These are the spiritually blind. These are the spiritually uh, 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 broken and, and captive. This is a description of all humanity. This is, this is how all people are without God. God created Adam and Eve perfect, and they didn't need anything. They weren't broken. They weren't blind. They weren't captive to sin. They were exactly how God intended, but Adam and Eve sinned, didn't they? And in the garden, they they sinned against God. And the Bible says that sin was passed upon all men. And now, all humanity, we're all spiritually poor. None of us have anything to offer God. We have nothing. We're all, if left to ourselves, brokenhearted. We're missing something in our soul. If left to ourselves, we're spiritually captive. We're blind and bruised by sin. And we, listen, we need salvation. We need to be saved from our sin because we are hopeless without a Savior. And that's exactly why God promised to send the Messiah. God knows who we are. God knows our condition. God knows we have nothing to offer him. God knows what we deserve. And so God promised to send a Messiah. And then he did send the Messiah, didn't he? And his name is Jesus Christ. And so Jesus read those words. And then he closed the book. And last week we said he actually stopped in the middle of a sentence, didn't he? He said to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, but Isaiah 61 2 continues and says, and the day of vengeance of our God. That's what Isaiah 62 said. But Jesus purposefully didn't read that part, did he? He didn't read, and the vengeance, the day of vengeance of our God. And the reason is because after he read the scripture he said this he sat down remember again you guys want to try that some of you are looking like you should stand no i'll 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 stand the reason he said that and the reason he stopped where he did is because in verse 21 he said these words this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears remember the words he read those are the words of the messiah when he came that's what isaiah said the messiah would say these words And so Jesus read those words, and out loud, in their ears, he read those words, and he told them in that synagogue, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your very ears. You're hearing the Messiah say what Isaiah said the Messiah would say. How are we doing? They just heard the Messiah do that. Do you see that? Do you know what's happening here? Do you you see what Jesus is claiming to them? He's telling them outright, I am the promised Messiah that Isaiah spoke about. And I am saying the words that he said I would say. Here it is, being fulfilled right in your ears. And Jesus was telling them that he was there to offer salvation. And the Messiah has come to offer salvation. He has come to preach the acceptable year of, of the lord that means that today is the day of salvation but listen listen salvation will not always be available it's not always going to be available the acceptable year of the lord is still going on but it's not going to go on forever and jesus on purpose did not read the next the next phrase there that says in the day of vengeance of our god he didn't read that in their ears But one day, Jesus will say those words. One day, Jesus will proclaim the day of vengeance of our God. He will proclaim that one day. It's coming. There's coming a day when Jesus will no longer come to you as your Savior, but he will come to you as your judge one day. One day, Jesus will come and pour his wrath on this earth one day. But that's not today. Listen, it is still the acceptable year of the Lord. He wants for you, listen, Jesus wants for you to accept his gift of salvation while it's available so you don't have to face his judgment. He wants to be your savior because he does not want to be your judge. But just like those in the synagogue, if you want to accept Christ as your savior, you first need to admit that you're in need of a Savior first. You have to admit that you have nothing to offer God. You have to admit that you're missing something in your soul that you desperately need, and that's a relationship with your God. You have to admit that you're captive and blind and bruised by sin. You have to admit you need a Savior. And you have to accept by faith That Jesus Christ is the promised Savior. He is the Messiah who came to die to pay for your sin and to offer you forgiveness of sins, to offer you deliverance from your sin and a relationship with the Creator. He came to offer you eternal life. He is the promised Messiah, and He is the only way to have your sins forgiven. You have to admit that if you want your sins forgiven. To be saved from your sin, you have to accept that Jesus is the only way. And those in that synagogue needed to admit that Jesus was the only way of salvation. They had to admit that, but they were conflicted, weren't they? They were conflicted about who Jesus was. Look at verse twenty-two. And all bear witness, bear him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, "Is this? Is not this Joseph's son?" you see the contrast? Gracious words, Joseph said. They're conflicted. As they listened to him exposit the scripture, they were amazed. they were amazed at his gracious words. Nobody was able to exposit the scriptures like Christ was. He is the Word, isn't he? He's the author of the Word. And so of course, as he preached the Word of God, He preached it perfectly accurately and perfectly clear. Nobody can preach like Christ was. And over and over in the Gospels you read that people said, He speaks with such authority. Well, yeah, He is the authority. You see? And so they couldn't deny as they were hearing jesus preach, and and he said more than was there remember that it says in verse 21 he began to say that means he gave a whole sermon and he exposited the whole thing and explained it to them and they knew exactly what he was saying and they couldn't deny listen they could not deny that there was something to what jesus was saying and there was something to how jesus was saying it jesus preached the gospel to them in a masterful way and his words were gracious His words were clear, and no doubt his words cut straight to their heart. And they knew, listen, they knew exactly what he was saying. And it was compelling to them. They were amazed. But they were hung up in their minds. Because the one that they just heard preach with such authority, the one, by the way, who was boldly proclaiming to be the Messiah himself, was joseph's son they couldn't believe that that little ordinary boy jesus that they grew up with jesus was a normal name it just it was just a normal name it was kind of like the the new testament rendition of joshua it was just a normal name and this little boy jesus that grew up with them was just the carpenter's son and now he's the messiah now we know today jesus is more than a normal name isn't it it's the name above all names and he's he's made it a name that matters for eternity but they didn't know that when he grew up and now he's the messiah and so jesus addressed that he addressed their hang-ups in their mind in verse 23 he says this and he said unto them you will surely say unto me this proverb Position, heal thyself and whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum do also here in my country And so jesus acknowledged this that he understood he was he acknowledged that he understood Their desire for him to prove himself In their hearts as they heard jesus preaching and teaching they wanted jesus to prove he was who he said he was Now the stirring of their heart and the conviction that was brought should have been enough for them but they were they thought they needed more proof and jesus knew that and so he read their minds and he said in verse 23 ye will surely say unto me he knew what they were thinking again another proof like guys he just read your mind and telling you what you were thinking but he said you'll say to me this proverb physician heal thyself now physician heal thyself was apparently a common saying at the time it wasn't a proverb like in the book of proverbs it was a saying of the day physician heal yourself and it basically meant again that they wanted jesus to prove he was who he said he was listen you wouldn't want a doctor to treat you without proof that he was able to actually treat illness would you if the doctor was always sick and if his family is always sick and they never get better, he might not, you might not want him as your doctor, maybe. It'd be hard to trust him to treat your illness. And so the proverb is, physician, heal thyself. And what they were saying was, they were not going to accept Jesus as Messiah without proof. And what they wanted was for Jesus to perform miracles there in Nazareth, like they had heard he did in Capernaum. Because word was spreading that he was doing miracles. And what they thought, listen, what they thought they needed was to see to see Jesus perform a miracle. If they were going to accept him as Messiah. They thought they needed that. And they were saying, if you really are who you say you are, prove it. Do what you've, what we, what you've done in Capernaum and do it here. And so Jesus told them that. And here's what Jesus is doing. He's just acknowledging that he understands where they're at. He doesn't say anything good or bad about that. He's just helping them see. He knows exactly where they're at and what they're thinking in their mind and what their hangups they think are. And then he also acknowledged that it would have been difficult to accept him because they grew up with him. Look at verse 24. And he said, Verily I say unto you, no prophet is accepted in his own country. And so he said, I understand that it's hard for you to believe that the boy you grew up with is the Messiah. I understand that could be a problem. And so he's just conceding that, you see? Helping them. And I know, see, I know that you see that as a barrier that is keeping you from believing that I'm the Messiah. And I know that you think you need to see a miracle to believe in me. But then he says, but that's not really the problem. I know what you're thinking. And what you think the problem is, but that's not really the problem. Look at verse 25. He says, But I tell you of a truth. I know what you're saying, but here's the truth. Here's the real problem. I understand what you're thinking. I know you see your need of proof and that you see your relationship with me as a problem, but let me tell you of a truth. Let me show you, listen, let me show you the real barrier between you and salvation. The real barrier. And so Jesus gave two examples of when Israel refused, listen, when Israel refused to see their need of God. And so the man of God went to the Gentiles instead. Two, two stories. And the, the Jews hated these stories. Because these are stories where God wasn't helping Israel, but then God did help the Gentiles. They hated these stories. But it wasn't wasn't God's fault. The reason God was sending the man of God to the Gentiles is because Israel didn't see their need of God. And Jesus said in verse 25, there were many, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elias. That's Elijah. When the heaven was shut up in three years and six months, when great famine was throughout the land, elijah shows up and he condemns israel and he condemns ahab and he says i'm going to cease it from reigning until for i think it was three years and during that time there was famine and there were widows why because well, you know what a widow is a husband who's passed away well why did he pass away because he starved to death and there were many widows in that time but they refused they refused even through that time to acknowledge god but there was somebody who acknowledged god and there was a gentile woman Look in verse 26. None of them was Elijah sent. Elijah sent. Save unto Serapta, the city of Sidon, and to a woman that was a widow. A Gentile lady in Sidon. She understood her need. She believed in the God of Israel. And God sent Elijah to her house, and she accepted him, and she gave the the rest of her food to him why did she do that she gave everything she had I can't I can't stop and tell you the whole story but basically she was starving and all she had was enough food for one meal and Elijah said give it to me and she did why'd she do that because he was the man of God well why would that matter if she didn't believe in God and so she gave that last meal to the prophet And you know what God did God kept feeding her and feeding her and feeding her and provided for her and took care of that widow that Gentile widow why because she saw who she was, she saw her need, she knew she needed God, and so God reached out to her, a Gentile, not the, not, the, not the Jews, not Israel. And then he talked about the story of Elisha, that's the man of God who followed Elijah. So Elijah went up in the whirlwind, Elisha took over as the man of God, verse 27, and many lepers were in Israel in the name of In the time of Elisha, Elisha. I always struggle with the Greek part, but it's Elisha. So, that time of Elisha, there were a lot of lepers. Now, leprosy was a nasty disease that caused all these sores on your body. And just because it's almost lunchtime, we won't really deal with that too much. But anyways, there were a lot of lepers in Israel. Again, why? Because they were under the judgment of God. And they they refused to see their need of God. But there was somebody who recognized he had a problem and God sent Elisha to him. Naaman, a Syrian general, by the way, of the enemy army, Elisha went to him and he obeyed God and dipped in the water seven times and was healed. A Gentile. Listen, who admitted his need. And God saved him. You know, it's funny. I love expositional preaching. Because tonight we're going to talk about a Gentile named Rahab who admitted her need and God spared her. God's listen, God is in the in the business of saving people who recognize their need. And he is not, listen, he is not in the business of saving people just because they're Christian in, in name only. Listen. God does not just save you because your parents were Christians. God does not save you from your sin because you grew up in church. God does not save you from your sin because you're here. God only saves people from their sin for one reason, and it's always been this way when you admit that you need a Savior. Yeah. But Elisha, the, the Jews in Elijah's day, the Jews in Elisha's day, they didn't admit that. And so Jesus was helping these first century Jews in the synagogue. Remember, we're back to the synagogue now. And Jesus is helping these guys, these Jews, the first century, in the synagogue to understand and see their real problem. Listen, their real problem, they thought it was accept- was with accepting who Jesus was. They thought they needed Jesus to prove himself. They thought they needed Jesus to perform a miracle. They thought they needed to, for Jesus to show them that he was who he said he was. They thought their problem was his accepting Christ, but their real problem, fundamentally, was with accepting who they were. And the Jews of Elijah and Elisha's time would not admit who they were. They would not see their need. They would not see that they needed the God Jehovah. And so God didn't help them. Just like Israel and Elijah and Elisha's day, these first century Jews in the synagogue they did not see their need of a savior. They didn't see themselves as the poor, the broken-hearted, the captive, the blind and the bruised. They didn't think that they needed to be saved from their sin. They just thought they needed to be saved from Rome. That's what they wanted. Their real problem was not oppression by Rome. Their real problem was oppression by their sin. They were so obsessed with the problems that Rome was causing them, that they could not see the problem that their own sin was causing them. They wanted a political leader, but they needed a savior. They were so focused, listen, they were so focused on the problems right in front of their face, that they couldn't see the problems that they would face in the next life because of their own sin. And they weren't interested in Jesus solving their sin problem. They were interested only in Jesus solving their Rome problem. And listen, many today are so focused on the problems in our world that they can't see the problem in their own heart. Man, this world's just crazy. What's happening to our world? What's happening to America? America's going down the tube. We used to love the Lord, but now we don't. I, I, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. The good old days aren't as good as you think they were. But I'm just telling you, the people get so obsessed with the political problems, They get so obsessed with what our society is doing. They get so obsessed with what America is doing. They get so obsessed with the wickedness around them. And they want a political leader to come and save everything. But they can't even recognize the problem in their own soul. We're good at seeing the evil around us. But often we really struggle to see the evil within us. Work. But to be saved listen to be saved you have to come to grips with the evil within you You cannot truly ask to be forgiven of your sins if you don't see your sins You cannot ask to be set free from sin if you don't see yourself as bondage to sin Many in our world Listen many in our in our world today don't really want jesus to fix their sin problem They just want jesus to fix the problems in front of them they just want Jesus to provide for their needs They just want Jesus to fix their marriage They just want Jesus to fix the problems of living But they don't see the eternal problems of the next life you see, They don't see their sin And they don't fully comprehend the wrath of God That is awaiting them And the, the judging hand of God that's upon their life In this life and the next life They don't see the lake of fire They don't see any of that All they see is their problems today. And I'm going to stop and say this, but a lot of churches are catering to that. And a lot of churches think, we're here to serve the community. We're here to to feed the poor. We're here to help our community be better. We're here to make our society a better place. And I think those are all good byproducts of it. But really, our problem, our our, our, problem, Reason for being here is not to solve the problems of our society is not to solve the problems of our politics It's not to feed the poor and help the widows primarily primarily our problem is to help people with their sin problem And we help people and I'm glad we do But when people get too focused on the problems of this life that they don't see the problems of the that le- of the next life we're failing Yeah, let's feed the poor, but let's tell them about their real need You see? Let's help the widow. Let's serve people. Yeah, let's love people the way Jesus did. You know what he did? He fed the 5,000. And then, and then what did he do? Preach the gospel. And you know what happened the next day they came back for food? He didn't feed them. Because Jesus wasn't primarily interested in feeding people physically. He was primarily interested in feeding people spiritually and saving people from their sin, not just feeding their bellies. And I think our churches oftentimes get off track. And forget the main thing yeah. yep because people are focused on this life and they're not thinking of the next life hey Jesus can help you with the problems around you Jesus can provide for you he is the provider Jesus can fix your marriage if you're willing Jesus can fix a lot of the problems in your life but he's most concerned with fixing the problem that's within you he wants to forgive you of your sin he wants to save you from his judgment for your sin he wants to forgive your sin so that he doesn't have to judge your sin that's what he wants mostly if you're here and you've never accepted christ as your savior if you've never been forgiven of your sins you might have convinced yourself that there's a good reason for that You might have convinced yourself that there's a good reason you haven't accepted Christ. You might be telling yourself that you're a good person, and so you don't need to be saved. You might be telling yourself that you've been baptized, so you don't need to be saved. You might have convinced yourself that because you're not as bad as others, that surely God will accept you. You might have convinced yourself that way. I'm the one who does feed the poor. I'm the one who does help the needy. God would accept me. Or maybe it's the opposite You might be thinking You're not good enough to be saved You might be thinking that this morning Maybe you think that you need to give some things up Before God can save you Maybe you think you've done too many bad things For God to forgive you Maybe you're here and you think that you're just not fully convinced This is all even real Maybe Maybe you're not sure Jesus was actually God Maybe you're not sure Jesus even existed. Maybe you're not sure that you really believe what the Bible says at all. Can I tell you? I can understand that you would feel that way. I acknowledge that you can feel that way and feel the way you do. I can understand that you can compare yourself with others and see yourself as good enough to go to heaven. I can understand that thinking. I can understand how you think that God could not save you, someone like you who's done so many bad things. I can understand where you're coming from there. And I can see why you'd be skeptical to place your faith in this book to save you for all of eternity. I can understand how you got there, but I tell you of a truth. Fundamentally, that's not really your problem. Your real problem because you don't really see yourself for who you are. And you don't really understand who Jesus is. Listen, you are not good enough. You are the spiritually poor. You have nothing to offer God. You're nothing on your own. Without God, you're empty and unfulfilled. You know it. You know it, honest. Without God, you're a slave to sin. You need a Savior. You have to admit that, or you will spend an eternity in the lake of fire under the judgment of the and wrath of an eternal God. That's reality. And there are people right now suffering the eternal wrath of God because they refuse to admit who they really are. But the Messiah has come. Jesus came and he lived a perfect life why so, so that you can have eternal life he came and lived the life that you could never live and he took the wrath of God on the cross that's why he came the blood that Jesus shed on the cross is enough to save any sinner it doesn't matter how bad you think you are it doesn't matter what you've done Jesus is more powerful and the blood that he shed on the cross is more powerful than anything you might have done Jesus came To seek and to save sinners, that's why he came. And if you're hearing this, then I'm confident that the Holy Spirit of God is working. That's what he does. He works through the Word of God. He works through the preaching, the proclaimed Word of God. And I'm confident the Holy Spirit of God is speaking to your heart and he's telling you that this is true. He's convicting your heart. He's telling you this is true and you know it. And you might be trying to convince yourself right now that none of this is real, and you don't have to worry about eternity. There is no lake of fire. There is no judgment of God. But that's a lie from the devil, and you know it. You know it. You know it. Hell is real. And you deserve to be there. And I deserve to be there. But Jesus died on the cross, so you don't have to go there. Jesus rose again on the third day and defeated sin. Once and for all. And all you have to do now is admit it. Admit your need of a Savior and ask God to forgive you of your sin because what Jesus did on the cross, listen, what Jesus did on the cross is enough. And if you admit that, and you ask God to save you from your sin, the Bible says that at that very moment, all your sins will be forgiven every one of them past present and future all your sins will be paid for on the cross of christ you'll be justified that means that before god and that's all it that really matters before god it will be like you've never sinned at all god will see you as sinless because he'll see you through the blood of his son and you'll be completely forgiven and promised a home in heaven with God forever. But you're going to have to admit your need. You have to admit your need. Okay, if you're saved, you still have a need. Brother Chad, this, is no, this doesn't matter because I've already been saved. I've already accepted Christ. But you still have a sin nature. Yeah. You still, listen, you still have nothing to offer God. If you're saved this morning, you still have nothing to offer God. You still are no match for your sin all by yourself. You still need to recognize your need for God every single day. You need to die daily like Paul did, admitting to yourself and to God that the best you have to offer him of yourself is filthy rags, and you need God's grace, and you need God's mercy every morning. We are all, listen, we are all filthy sinners in need of God's grace, and that never changes. You know how I know it it never changes? We still sing about it in heaven. Yeah, still sing about it. Amazing grace. Why do we sing that? Because we need it. So often, listen, so often as Christians, we get so upset. At the evil around us And in our society That we Fail to deal With the evil within us And we forget Who we were Before Jesus found us We forget Who we are when we get away from God And we're no better than the world Anything good in us Is just because of the grace of God but not everybody wants to hear this, right? We read it. You know what they did when they heard that? They marched Jesus out of the temple. In fact, it says they they thrust him out of the city to a cliff. They took Jesus to the brow of that hill, and they were ready to cast him off headlong as a false prophet. How dare you say that I... That I'm a sinner in need of salvation. You're a false prophet. And they're gonna throw him off the cliff. You know what Jesus did? He passed right through them. Can you see the scene? They're pushing and they're shoving, and Jesus gets to the brow of the hill and they're ready to push him off. And Jesus says, No. And he just walks. And they just stand there. And they let him walk. Why? He's God. What are they gonna do? They know his authority. And Jesus said to them, I'll die for you later. Isn't that awesome? Those words aren't in our passage, but that's what he told them, isn't it? Now is not my time to die. Jesus knew that his time to die was at the cross of Calvary so that he can pay for the sins of man, including those who are ready to toss him off the cliff. Nobody can take Jesus' life. Jesus would willingly offer his life freely for us about three years later after this story you might be here today you might be offended by what you're hearing I'm not out to offend anybody I don't on purpose go and make people upset there are preachers I think to do that I'm not not interested in that but the truth of the word of God is offensive all by itself you might be saying no pastor I'm a good person how dare you say these things about me I don't do drugs. I've never hurt anybody. I'm just minding my own business and going to church because that's what good people like me do. How dare you? You know that's exactly what they were thinking in the synagogue. How dare you call me the poor, the broken-hearted, the captive, the blind, and the bruised? I'm a Jew. I'm God's people. The Gentiles are the ones who are broken. The Gentiles are the ones who deserve God's wrath, not us. Jesus wanted to save them in that synagogue, but they needed to admit that they needed to be saved, and they wouldn't. If you never accept Jesus as your Savior, if you've never done that, if you've never come and prayed to God, He said, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I have nothing to offer you. I know that I'm bruised and broken by sin. I know that I deserve hell and the lake of fire. But I know that Jesus came to offer salvation and that Jesus died for my sin. And because of what Jesus did, God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. If you've never done that, Jesus wants to be your Savior you're gonna to have to admit you need to be saved you have to admit you had nothing to offer God you have to admit there's no way you can earn salvation it doesn't matter how many times you get baptized it doesn't matter how many confirmation tests you take it doesn't matter how how many times you've been in church it doesn't matter how much money you've given to the church it doesn't matter how many poor poor people you fed it doesn't matter how many old ladies you walked across the street none of that matters the only way to be saved Is because of what Jesus did on the cross and that's it you have to admit that you deserve the wrath of God and if you cannot admit that then you cannot be saved today is the day of salvation if you've never accepted Christ as Savior and you die before this service is over your eyes will close and your eyes will open in the lake of fire forever this is reality. God wants to forgive you of your sin and save your soul before he comes back to bring the day of vengeance of our God. Today is the day of salvation. So you must have been. If you are saved this morning, remember, you still have nothing to offer God. You still deserve God's wrath, but you won't have to face his wrath. You're still a sinner that God has forgiven by his grace. You still need God every day and there is a listen and there is a world out there that needs to know that today is the day of salvation, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, for sending your son. Thank you for promising him from the very beginning, the very day that Adam and Eve sinned. And broke fellowship with you Was the very day you promised to send your son one day And you did And he's come And his name is Jesus Christ And thank you for dying on the cross for us Lord, we're all in need We're all broken without you We're all poor and destitute Nothing to offer you Lord, we can't impress you The best we have to offer is filthy rags And you know that I'm thankful you love us anyway and that you died for us so that we can have our sins forgiven so that we can have a relationship with you again. And God, I pray that if there's one here this morning that has not accepted you as Savior, that you would work in their heart or give them courage to come down to this altar and talk to me or Brother Tim or, or somebody that can show them how that they can have their sins forgiven, how that they can accept you as their Savior so that they don't have to Have you as their judge. Help them, please. Give them the courage to do that. We love you. Christ and I pray. Amen. We stand together.